Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. I'm back from New York Comic Con. Uh, great time. Great seeing listeners. Thank you very much for those of you who I saw face to face. And uh, whether it was, hey, I recognize that voice or, hey, John, and they saw me and knew me immediately, shaking hands. Uh, thanking you personally for uh, listening to the Word Balloon podcast. That was terrific. Great uh, bonding with uh, old friends that are uh, comic book creators and uh, people who blog and podcast and cover the uh, comic community as they do if they're not creators themselves. Also, a bunch of new uh, people that will be uh, coming on Word Balloon hopefully in the weeks and months ahead. But i got to be honest, man. New York Comic Con, ugh! Every year, it finds a new way to be frustrating. Uh, the Artist Alley was really hot, ridiculously crowded. We're out of the North Wing because they're uh, remodeling over there. And that's a shame because that area really was so perfect. It was so big and airy and natural light. And now they had uh, Artist Alley in the basement. And um, they're kind of stingy on the air conditioning. And also, it was impossible to walk through aisles with any type of normal walking speed, you were always at, you know, kind of a shuffle because there were just too many people ahead of you and behind you. And that really was kind of frustrating. And, uh, you know, that's my one quibble about the con. But, uh, again, always great to go to New York. I love that city. So much fun. And uh, the Ah yeah crew, Art Franco, Scoot, Kurt Wood... You know, Brother Bear, uh, everybody was there, and uh, got Dave Scheidt. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun uh, hanging with everybody and uh, hitting the night spots. So uh, always a good time. Glad to be back, though. And uh, today, we're celebrating Inktober. This is just uh, serendipity, because um, I forgot that uh, October has become Inktober, and so many artists uh, respond on Instagram and the various social media platforms and showing their uh, wonderfully beautiful pen and ink uh, drawings. And uh, who better on Word Balloon to celebrate Inktober with than one of the most prolific inkers in comic book history? And I'm talking about Joe Rubenstein. Joe Rubenstein broke in the business at 17. You're going to hear his story. Broke in at uh, the Continuity Studios under the tutelage of of, uh, Dick Giordano and, of course, Neil Adams. And just had a bunch of adventures in his career since the 70s. And uh, just got to be a fly on the wall for a lot of uh, the greats that were still around from the Golden and Silver Age. And still working uh, in their twilight years as Joe was just getting started. And then, of course, his wonderful run in the 80s with uh, Mark Ruinwald and uh, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. And uh, Joe, of course, was the uh, premier inker on a lot of those characters. And it got to the point where it was kind of a a game for him, where he would find appropriate non-Marvel creators to uh, do a guest shot and draw the, you know, the the entry for each uh, handbook uh, hero or villain or character. So pretty neat stuff and loaded with uh, great stories in uh, this panel from uh, Salt Lake City Comic Con last month. So I thought this was a great episode to share 
for Inktober. It's Joe Rubenstein on today's Word Balloon. All brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much, League, for your support. You help make the New York trip possible. And uh, the dividends are coming in the weeks ahead. Really happy with uh, a lot of the uh, new people that I met and uh, connections that will be coming on uh, future episodes of Word Balloon. So thank you very much. If you want to subscribe to Word Balloon, uh, do you think the what I do here is worth the price of a comic book? I'm shrugging. If you think so and uh, can afford it, go to patreon.com slash wordballoon or wordballoon.com and click on the Patreon ad. That'll take you to my Patreon page. And uh, thank you for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. We just got a couple more people last week, and I'm always appreciative of everyone that has helped contribute in uh, the months and years in the past. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades. At InStockTrades.com, there's some great new collections that are available at InStock Trades. I'm looking at one in particular, and that is a uh, Marvel Horror Magazine collection trade paperback. And, uh, man, I'm telling you, the black and white Marvel magazines always had fantastic stuff. That's where Star-Lord originally came for, for example. Uh, great runs on uh, Tomb of Dracula were happening there. A fantastic Hulk series. And a lot of other, even a little more uh, edgier things, like uh, Devilina and uh, Gabriel the Devil Hunter and uh, who else? Certainly the Scarecrow stories. Um, Master of Kung Fu stories were happening there as well. The Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, I believe, was the black and white uh, manganese. But this has Chris Claremont, Tony DiZuniga among the creators here. It's uh, Gene Colan cover, 264 pages, 42% off. It's $20.29. You can also get the button. The button, of course, is the Batman Flash uh, team-up that happened uh, in the new uh, DC Rebirth series. It was uh, the 21st and 22nd issues of both Batman and The Flash, co-written by Josh Williamson and Tom King. Uh, Josh did the heavy lifting, though. That's what Tom King told us on our most recent Word Balloon interview. And I saw Josh uh, watch, uh, uh, covering, autographing. <laughs> I guess that's what it is. But autographing copies of this at uh, New York Comic Con. Man, those guys were just constantly busy. I'm so lucky I got to talk to King for five seconds and Charles Soule for five seconds before their lines just crushed them. And Josh was certainly among those creators as well. This is 104 pages, and it's, of course, the middle uh, chapter before we get to the Doomsday Clock. Everything that started with DC Rebirth continues in the button, and we'll see what happens with the Doomsday Clock. But uh, it's 42% off. It's just $11.59 at InStockTrades.com. There's a lot more. We can talk about some more of these uh, great deals on the second half of the show, but uh, check them out. If your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping. There are lots of great collections here waiting for you at great prices. InStockTrades.com Okay, without further ado, let's uh, bring you to Salt Lake City Comic Con. And I really enjoyed this panel. Uh, we're celebrating Inktober with Joe Rubenstein on Word Balloon. Thanks a lot for coming, and this is going to be a great conversation. I'm looking forward to it. John Suntras here from the Word Balloon Podcast. Very pleased to have the opportunity to hear some amazing stories of one of uh, comics. I, I almost want to say unsung heroes because I, I don't think sometimes you get your due. It's Joe Rubenstein, everybody. Is it Steen or Stein? Forget the It is Steen. Excellent. Let, Sorry. Me, let me preface this by saying I don't need this kind of pressure. <laughs> No, I know you're full of stories, man. Okay. Oh, so, yeah, full of... Well, yeah. yeah. But honestly, um, much like some other teenagers, 
that got an early professional break. Joe is a, is a classic example of that. But I, I want to go to your beginnings as I've understood them, reading a few interviews and hearing a few uh, podcasts and, and videos that you've done. Um, was it, uh, well, first, yeah, how did you get into comics, both as a, as a reader and uh, then as a, as a pro? Tell us your story. You have a lovely radio voice. I'm a Chicago radio guy. Oh, see? see? There you go. Hello, Johnny B here. Um, <laughs> Johnny B was in our, uh, was in our town. John yeah, I know, I know. There you go, Isn't man. Isn't it Brandmeier? Brandmeier, very yeah. good, man. You know your Chicago radio. That's fantastic. Uh, so are you into Chicago or New York pizza? All right, don't hate me, Joe. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, I've, what I like about Chicago pizza, we'll, we'll have a quick uh, diversion. Yeah. Um, I like the variety because uh, we can get I, – I do like New York-style pizza, but I do like the fact that Chicago experiments with pizza. I mean, I, I won't deny I like deep-dish pizza. You can tell from my waist size. I, I live by a golden rule. Trust no one who has anchovies on their pizza. I completely agree with that. <laughs> See, so we'll agree on that. Very good. Absolutely. Okay. Well, well, the strange well, origin of, of Joe Rubin. Strange origin. I think my parents had sex the usual way, but what do you know <laughs> that I don't? When did you? Um, were, right. were you born in Germany? Is that correct? I was. All right. Um, I was naturalized in 1972. Okay. Because we immigrated from Israel. Oh, okay. Previous to that, we thought we were Polish, but as it turns out. When Germany lost the war, they were forced to take the town I was born in. So instead of being Polish, I became German. Okay, okay. I came from a neighborhood that was so tough, they used to manually insert the bullets. But I'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) So so I was born in Breslau, Poland, and then at age six months old, we moved to to Israel, and at five years old, or four and a half or some such, we moved to Brooklyn, New York, for a nice schmear and a boy and a bagel, um, and then um, when I was uh, well, for, all right. So, so my older cousin had comic books. I couldn't read or speak the language. I looked at the pictures. I got enamored. I must have loved it. I must have been able to know what I was looking at because you know you can in the, in the old days you could read a comic book from the pictures. Darn straight. And. Um, so like every other little kid, I, I guess, took crayons and lined paper and did my own comic books. And then when I was 11 years old, I started to go to the Art Students League of New York, which is where we lived. And my family used to send an 11-year-old on the subway into Manhattan. What the hell were they thinking? <laughs> I guess they had three more children. What the hell? But it was safe back then. You know, oh, adults, yeah. adults did look out for kids because I used to go to Cub games, you know, when I was 12 years old. They used so to I look out for them, but they also presumed that they could tell them what they had to do. It's like, hey, don't do that. Just, <laughs> you're not my father. <laughs> so anyway, um, so I went to the Art Students League when I was 11 years old. And I studied, interestingly enough, with Arthur J. Foster, who was the son of the great Hal Foster, who did the Prince Valiant comic strip forever. Um, And then when Mr. Foster retired, I used to correspond with the older Mr. Foster. Wow. Um, And then when he retired, I started to study with a guy named Anthony Palumbo, who was taught by Bern Hogarth, who's the guy who took over Tarzan when Foster left it. Um... And I believe he also studied in the same class with Frizetta and Williamson with Foster. Holy he was God. a very, very nice guy. Um, and then, when I was 13 years old, 
I had the mixed blessing <laughs> of, of meeting Neil Adams at my very first comic book convention, which in those days, they had like a convention a year. It was an event. You went to Phil Suling's Con at the Pennsylvania Hotel, you know, something like that. Yep. Um, and Neil and his partner, Dick Giordano, was starting a new studio called Continuity Associates. And I said, uh, and, and Neil, by the way, was my idol. Because I remember at 11 years old showing some kid uh, a Phantom Stranger comic book on, look, this is by Neil Adams. So I could recognize who was who. And as a little kid, I wanted to draw exactly what was in front of me, what I thought was real. So while Jack Kirby is the greatest comic book artist who ever lived, and I certainly loved his work, Neil looked real to me. I hear what you're saying. So Neil was, you know, and I met Neil. And, and so I wound up working at their three-room studio on 9 East 48th Street called Continuity Associates with Dick Giordano. Um, and Dick was a lovely, wonderful, sweet man. Everybody loved Dick. Um, he offsetted the other guy in the studio. <laughs> um, and then uh, I got into the High School of Art and Design, which was a vocational art school like Bronx Science or whatever. Um, and so at 15, I started to assist Dick, besides just being the kid who mopped the floor, made the coffee, and did the deliveries. Um, I remember I, I had to deliver like this crate from Continuity Associates to Marvel Comics of, of comic books or whatever. And you know a paper is a concentrated tree, and you're carrying a tree with you, you know? And I, I would have to like... It, I, don't, I think it was like a 12, 14 block walk. I used to duck into air-conditioned rooms just to live, uh, buildings, just to live through that thing, right? Um, and then when I was, so I became Dick's assistant when I was 15 years old, and then when I was 17 years old, I got my first freelance job because um, a new guy showed up uh, named Michael Nasser. And um, Michael and I at the time kind of looked alike because we were kind of dark and swarthy and we had dark hair and I had a beard and he had a beard. And obviously Michael was in the Neil Adams school of drawing. And I became an inker because in an interview, the great Gil Kane said, in Alter Ego number 10, said, I should have been an inker first to learn the business and then I would, had gone on to pencil. He says, okay, I'll try inking for a while. And so I was inking in Dick's style, Mike was drawing in Neil's style. And then um, I asked Mike if I could do some samples on tracing paper. which just ain't the real thing. I did. Um, and then I showed the samples around. And then Jerry Conway gave, oh, he gave Mike his first job. So he let me do it. But he said to Dick, watch him. So I did the job. And then I showed it to Dick. And he went, yeah, OK. <laughs> and I brought it in. And little did I know. That now we're, so so I'm I'm 17 so it's 1975, and um, do you remember in 75 when we used to have steam powered cell phones? <laughs> I do remember, remember 1975 remember with phones in the bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I, I still or in the suitcase even. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> so I found out that Jerry gave me the lowest rate an inker had in the industry Jeez. at 20 bucks a page when everybody else was getting 23 bucks a page. But you have to remember, in those days, $24 would buy you a car. So, <laughs> a lot of money. And, Absolutely. And then um, there was a thing. Carmine Infantino, the great and notorious Carmine Infantino, um, when he stopped being a penciler and became uh, editorial 
whatever the hell he was. Yeah. He was making $38 a page. And so for as long as Carmine's regime was in power, no pencil was allowed to make more than $38 a page. Hilarious. And, of course, that meant inkers don't go anywhere near $38 a page. And I estimated that if I worked and I worked and I worked and killed myself, I'd make a whopping $10,000 a year the rest of my life, which wasn't even good money then. <laughs> okay. Um, and, you know, I, so I worked, I worked at D.C. for a while. Um, and then... Um, Give us some of the titles that you worked on for D.C. Because you... Well... Yeah, I, I mean, I know you worked with... Everything? Me. Well, that's no, the thing. I mean, right, no, well, truly, well, here's, you're... Here's you're, the thing. My first job was appropriately enough called Tales of the Great Disaster, okay. which was in the back of Commandy Comics. Oh, great. Right. Sure. Um, and then after those two issues, my memory is I really couldn't get any work, and I started to assist... Bob McLeod and Klaus Jansen and Jack Gable, who worked at the studio. But the thing is, is Continuity Associates, pre-Federal Express, pre-Internet, you had to live in the New York City tri-state area to work. So you live your hand delivering. Yeah, or, or take the train, you know, like right. stories of Frazetta being on the subway, still cutting zip on his pages sure. and stuff. Um, so we all knew each other one way or another, and... When, when a person brought in a job, whether it was an established person like Gray Morrow, um, you all wound up at Continuity Associates because that Neil Adams was a great comic book artist. He revolutionized the look. And you went there to see what was happening, and you hung out with the guys. Um, so consequently, I wound up being Wally Wood's assistant when I was a kid and assisting Russ Heath wow. and Jack Abel. Wow. And then Dick was teaching people so Bob Wycheck and Terry Austin were working there. I was working off in another room. Occasionally somebody would come in and rent space for a couple of days or weeks or whatever it is. And, and so that was really the hub of the industry. And um, interestingly enough, I knew Siegel and Schuster. So I was a kid and they were old guy, old, you know, relative to a kid. Sure. Um, and so as in Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon... All you guys are now back at the beginning of the history of comic books. And, you know, I know Stan, and, you know, Stan's 94 and all that. Um, but, yeah, I knew Siegel and Schuster. I didn't have the nerve to ask Schuster for drawing, which I wish I had, for damn sure. Um, but so I'm at a party, and Jim Starlin, who was this up and riser, you know, it's like, so, so who's, who's happening in those days? Jim Starlin, Rich Buckler, Al Milgram, Michael Kaluta, Bernie Wrightson, right? And so I'm at a party. I'm the kid. Right? Yeah. I'm 15, they're 23, they're 24, they're whatever they are. And uh, I, I, I've been working for two years, and Starlin walks up to me and says, I got this job at Avengers on you, want it, kid? I go, yeah. <laughs> okay. So that became the Avengers Annual 7, which the two-in-one annual, which is sort of the basis of the next Guardians of the Galaxy movie, which kind of... You know, Warlock died, Thanos, and all that sort of stuff. Cool. Groundbreaking stuff. Yeah, man. You know. Um, but, you know, when you, when you talk to um, old movie stars, it says, what was it like making Gone with the Wind? It's a job. We did the job. We came in. They put us in costumes with the cafeteria. I'm glad you said that. Right. What was it like doing Citizen Kane? It was a job. We came, you know. Well, but yeah, but that's fair. I mean, yeah, of yeah. course, it's, that's what you're but, doing. You're punching the clock, but, man. But, but mind you, I, I would look at my stuff that I had to ink the first thing uh, just as I was going to sleep. And then I'd wake up and I'd pick it up and I'd look at it again. Okay, so I really was obsessed. I wanted to be the best I could. 
you know, it's a solitary life. I can't be in the studio. I just want to talk and tell stories. I have to be alone I hear to you. work. So if you're going to spend your whole life doing this stuff, you want to be proud of it. And on top of that, I had the responsibility that there's a penciler having expectations of me. So in my mind, the inker would go, oh, who's the great new guy I'm going to ink? And the pencil would go, oh, shit, who'd they give it to? You know, so I, I felt the responsibility of these people. So I really wanted to be the best I could. So it was just a job, but it was the job I desperately wanted to do as well as I could. And for instance, when I did the Wolverine series, Frank, Frank was this, I think Frank and I are, are the same age. Frank Miller from people Frank who Miller, know. Right. I say Frank and we thought Sinatra. Okay. <laughs> Francis Fox. Yeah. yeah. Francis well, Albert Miller. Yes. Francis Albert Miller. Francis <laughs> Gwendolyn Miller. But he doesn't like to get Is that true? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there's a story this, there that this obviously... This is a place to start rumors. <laughs> okay. I'm not telling you which notorious Batman artist likes to wear something a little silky while he works. Awesome. <laughs> there you go. And it is Nothing Batman day, by that. the way. Nothing so I was, I was hoping for a yeah. Batman anecdote. Yeah, yeah. There so, you go. So Frank Frank was this, you know, this, this skinny kid with a big nose from Vermont, and he was doing little six-page stories in the back of Weird War or something like that. Yep, yep, yep. And I'm living at home, and I'm getting jobs from Continuity Associates and Dick and all that stuff, so I have spare money. So I buy Frank lunch whenever I see him, you know. So for all of you who love Frank Miller's work, you owe me. Because <laughs> he'd be dead now without me. <laughs> from Starfish. Yeah, right. <laughs> And, and, and I had a re- real emphasis on understanding anatomy. Okay. Interestingly enough, because there's always a comic book vein running through my life, like fudge through vanilla ice cream, right? My, my anatomy teacher at the High School of Art and Design was the great Bernie Crickstein, who was one of the great legendary EC artists who his storytelling was revolutionary. Absolutely. We, he was a maverick, and he wouldn't let anybody tell him how to do his job, and we butted heads because he always told me how to do my job, and I always told him I didn't want to do it his way. Interesting. Right, wow. of course. It's just like the, the Quakers who come in and repress all religious freedom. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. we're not losing that stuff. Just like that. Right. Or, or one of my other teachers at A&D was a guy named Mike Strauss who used to work on Uncle Sam comics, if I'm not mistaken. And another, wow. And another For guy, quality. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And yeah. another guy was Al Holland. Hollingsworth, who was like one of the two black guys in the comic book industry in the 40s. So he was Him and Matt Baker? Yeah, right, right. There was also another guy named Charlie Ferguson who was there for a little while who was another okay. of the teachers. Wow. So, so, you know, and, and always comic book people, right? Um, so, so I was talking about what in my long-winded way? Wolverine, but I, I mean, you know, we could get, I mean, I was right. planning us getting to Wolverine. Right, right. But, but, oh, 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 getting well, the but, job, getting the yeah, job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. So, so, so Frank... Um, he used to come to me with his pages and say, how's the anatomy? And I used to correct his anatomy. Now, I don't want to overstate this. I didn't draw anything. I didn't redraw anything. I have no credit for Frank Miller. But he'd let me sort of, like, fix an arm or something. Okay. And then I think that's why I inked the first Daredevil cover he did, even though Klaus did the insides, because he knew me and he knew I wouldn't screw it up. Cool. And then he walked up to me at Marvel one day, and again, because we all lived in the tri-state area, you go to Marvel, you hand in a thing, and you sit around. And you sort of talk to people. And he went, hey, we're doing this uh, Wolverine miniseries. You want to do it? I go, yeah. I didn't know it would be my Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Hell yeah. You know, I didn't know it would be my legacy forever. And I'm proud of it. And I'm glad, glad of it, you know. But you sit down and you do the job. Oh, by the way, when I would go to D.C., I just, when I would go to D.C., I'd hand in the pages. And there was, you know, like Carmen Infantino and Jack Adler and... 
Joe Orlando and Murray Boltnoff, and there was a coffee room, and you'd sit there, and, and Saul Harrison, who looked like an evil Tweedledum, um, <laughs> he, or he would walk up and go, what are you doing here? He says, I deliver pages. He says, you deliver them? He says, yeah. He says, get out. Jeez. Okay. So I just want to keep talking about what a shit Saul is. <laughs> I've never heard a positive story about Saul. I don't care Saul how long he's been so dead. I'm going to keep that. That's going. hilarious, man. Okay. Right. Okay. So that's how I did the Wolverine. Okay. And and but but here's the deal. Uh, there's this thing in comic books called the Kirby Barrier. Where, I've never heard that. Tell right, me about right. the Kirby Barrier. Well, one day, um, Captain America. I don't remember the numbers. One twelve was sitting in the office, and one fourteen was sitting in the office. And somebody went, where's 113? I don't know. Anybody know what happened to 113? He says, nope. He got a plot? Nope. Says, we kind of didn't do an issue. <laughs> okay. And they called up Jack. says, Jack, can you draw an issue of Captain America? He says, yeah. It's a job. <laughs> so, so Jack drew like an issue of Captain America that weekend. And I think what it was wow. was the, a, a re- origin retelling. Okay, yeah, that was right after the Steranko three-issue run. Yeah. So, so the thing is, is that the Kirby barrier is can you draw an entire comic book in seven days and still make it quality, which Jack Kirby could do. Absolutely. So Frank decided he would give himself the challenge of drawing an issue of Wolverine every week. And he was drawing Daredevil at the same time. Wow. Daredevil was full pencils. Wolverine was layouts. So that was an awful lot of choices on my part left up to me. How bare were the layouts? They were, no, they were, they were there. They were fine. But, but like, what's that? I, I, I'd call up Franco. What is that in the corner? Oh, it's, you know, it's just, hey, do you want a black on this wall? Yeah. It says, what's going on? But the thing is, I have a, a, a copy of it. I can show you of the splash of Wolverine number one. And it's got a million lines all over its face. And I didn't understand what he was doing. And it took a, a, a good professional speed to ink a 22-page job is 10 days, okay. two weeks. I took eight weeks to ink that thing because I didn't understand what he was doing with those lines. But what he was doing, I found out, this is a theory of mine, I found out years later was he was experimenting with the Ronin style. And when he saw that I wasn't following it, he kind of abandoned those lines. Oh, wow. But if he had shown it to me, I might have said, oh, is that what you want? I'll try and recreate it. But I didn't know. Sure. So the first issue, and, you know, memory distorts and you tell stories and, and you, you lie to yourself. So I hope this is the truth. It's like the first issue took eight weeks. The second issue took six weeks. The third issue took four weeks. And then finally the last issue took like two and a half weeks or something like okay. that. And the truth of the matter is... Is for 25. Firstly, I think Klaus was perfect on Frank. I thought the stuff looked fantastic and got better and better and better. Great match. Um, and, and I was a, a, a tremendous fan of Frank's work. Um, when Wolverine came out, I was profoundly embarrassed by it. And when people said, I really like your work, I would politely say thank you and not elaborate. And I, I hated it for 25 years. And because it didn't look like Daredevil. It didn't look like what Klaus was doing, but it didn't start that way. And since I had an idea of that was perfect, mine was not right. And then after 25 years of sort of, I gave up my expectations and I looked at it and I went, yeah, it's not bad. And that's what I feel about it today. It's not bad. You know. You've got a reputation as a chameleon inker, and I like that because in contrast. Slimy. And, what's that? Slimy. Slimy. 
You know what I mean. Yeah. And, and honestly, in contrast, and, I, and I've heard you bring up this name in comparison, Murphy Anderson, when Murphy Anderson would ink something. In fact, when he and Kurt Swan would work together, it was called Swanderson. Right. And, and appropriately so. Before Brangelina. Indeed. Long before okay. Brangelina and all the Hollywood uh, okay. pa- matchups. Right. But yeah, so, and um, a more modern example, and in fact, an artist that you also inked over, Bill Sienkiewicz inked over Mike Norton right. on uh, Green Arrow. And I know you, you, right. you also did Green Arrow on Black, Black Canary with Mike. And when Mike was inked by Sienkiewicz, it wasn't quite Sienkiewicz, it wasn't quite Norton. It was something in between. Well, in that case, they specifically told Bill to just jazz it up because I was following the pencils in the front half of the book and the editor, not the editor, but the higher-ups didn't like it. They found it too conventional. Okay. And nobody ever said to me, do something with it because my philosophy is always respect the work and hand it back a little better. It's like supposedly a good facelift means you look like you were rested, not like you're another person. Sure. So... I try to help it and maybe help it in the direction it wants to go in. But I don't want to smother the work. Now, when you get fantastic artists like Tony DiZuniga, Alfredo Collar, Rudy Nevers, uh, Bill Sienkiewicz, uh, Tom Palmer, Kevin Nolan, you will get great-looking jobs when it's done, and you will get all those guys, and you won't most of the time know who penciled it. So is there anything wrong with the Kevin Nolan job? It's beautiful. It's always beautiful. But my example is, so they find... A Frank Frazetta pencil job, and they go, here, Alfredo, ink it. And you get a beautiful Alfredo Alcala job when it's done, and you didn't know Frazetta was there. I'm with you. And so my attitude is, I'd like it to look like the guy who it started with, and by the way, inking is really boring if you do it the same way all the time. So Dick Giordano's philosophy was, you don't ink Neil Adams like you do Mike Sikowski, like you do Dick Dillon, like you do Rich Butler. You change your approach to who's in front of you. Now that, I guess was a relatively modern concept because people like Joe Kubert, I mean, I said to Joe, says, so what are you doing? You ain't a job. How do you think about it? He says, well, it's my job now. I mean, they handed me the pencils. It's my job now. So he turns it into Joe Kubert. Sure. Fantastic. Beautiful. Murphy Anderson, Murphy Anderson. You know, Gorgeous. So Absolutely. So, so Dick said, change it. Be, uh, be accommodating. Be sensitive to what's in front of you, right? So... Um, I was badgering the editor of Comic Scene to do a piece about inkers because inkers were always referred to as artist and inker. It's like, bite me. <laughs> okay. Um, tracer. You know, I went, yeah, that I, whole thing. I went to see the movie Chasing Amy, which I didn't know what it was about. And I coincidentally had my DC Comics Levi jacket on. Okay. <laughs> and it opens up with this guy hassling the inker going... So you're a tracer, right? No, well, you know, I... T- so you trace, right? Just, yeah, trace, all right. <laughs> so, so when I left the theater, I was desperate for I somebody bet. to say, you work for DC Comics, what do you do? I'm a tracer. <laughs> but, but, but nobody said anything. Um, so, um, so they did a round table with Klaus, Leighton, Palmer, and myself, and they got Mike Zeck to draw a Hulk figure, and they got the four of us to ink it, and then they printed them side by side by way of comparison. Cool. And what I didn't know for a while was Mark Runewald, the late, nice Mark Runewald, Marvel saw, editor, these, Marvel right, saw these and went, oh, Rubenstein's is closer to what was there. We're doing this encyclopedia of all of our characters, the history, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. And he came up to me and says, we're doing this encyclopedia. Ink these three pieces. And I think it was a Ron Wilson and a 
and a Brian Postman, and I don't remember. Okay. And I brought it back, and he went, okay, good. How many do you want? I went, all of them. <laughs> Why would you say anything less than all of them? So that was 20 years of work. Hell yeah. You know. Absolutely, and, man. And, and I, I have been, <laughs> I, I've, I've had my ego uh, confronted several times in my life, but with absolutely no ego whatsoever. I think I'm the most versatile Inca who ever lived. I understand, and I, uh, yeah. I would say so, because, again, you enhance what's there. Well, I don't know if I enhance it, but at least I ink Eric Larson so it looks like him when it's done. Right. And John Buscema when it's done, and Gil Kane when it's done, and all these guys. And, and, and Kevin Nolan called me up once and said, I just did three issues. I had just done three issues of Superman over Gil Kane. Okay. You had. I had. Go on. And, and ironically enough, don't forget, Gil Kane's the one who inspired me to be an inker. As opposed to being a pest. Who thought inkers were scum, who we had a personal feud and hated each other. Wow. But Yeah, I'm I, sure Gil's not a, wasn't a nice no, man. No, yeah, no. unfortunately. But I gladly ink him forever as long as I didn't have to have a conversation with him. <laughs> okay. There are other certain jumbo bores in that category, too. Um, so I inked this stuff, and I was as faithful as I could because, yes, he's Gil Kane. He's great. And then Kevin called me up and said, um, so how did you do it? And I took it as a great compliment because Kevin's a wonderful artist. So he inked some of this Gil Kane job. He brought it into the editor. The editor called up and went, what are you doing? I expect you to change it. He says, okay. So Kevin changed it. Okay. So Gil Kane does a radio interview where somebody, he says, you know this Joe Rubenstein guy? He says, yeah. He says, he inked this, this Superman of mine. I don't know what the hell he thought he was doing. But Kevin Nolan, he really knows how to follow me. I went, Self-denial is the best denial. Jeez. You know, I know. So Gil and I did not get along. Um, but inking's, inking's dull. You know, it's one color. <laughs> you know, and, and um, I got, they, we did this book called Heroes for Hunger, which was a benefit book for African relief. And um, there was two of them, one for Marvel, one for DC. Yep. And I was inking the Marvel one over Alan Weiss, who in my four to five hundred pencilers I have done, which gives me the Guinness World Record, if it exists, which it doesn't. Because <laughs> I wrote them once. I went, you know, I have the Guinness World Record. Yeah. We don't care. Exactly. Go on. The McWhorters. Go, go uh, Right. So, um, so I was inking Alan. Alan is the hardest person I've ever inked because of the subtlety of his drawing, the weights that he expects of you, all that kind of stuff. So I was inking this thing while I was watching the telethon. And it was kind of cool because I sort of felt like I was attached to the world. Sure. This was Band-Aid. Right, 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 right. You know, Bob Geldof right. and... But, but, but when Starlin and I don't remember who decided to put on the Heroes for Hunger thing, they decided to assemble all these great artists, Jeff Jones and Bernie Wrightson. And, and, so, and I went, I want to ink Garcia Lopez. I've never inked Garcia Lopez. Wow. And he said, we got a penciler for you. I went, you got Garcia Lopez? And says, no. And says, who? And says, Joe Kubert. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. The, the best artist in the world. I mean, I know Jack Kirby is, is Mr. Comics, but, but Joe Kubert takes my breath away. I understand. I'm supposed to ink my idol, the best comic book artist in the world. What's going to happen? All right? And so, because I figured his, his work is so powerful and so fluid, you know he doesn't trace it. You know he barely pencils it and he finds it in the process, right? So I was expecting scribbles, and I was in deep shit. Can you say shit? Of course, you can say anything you want. Thank you. F-bombs anything as okay. well. Okay, okay. So, we don't have any kids here. So, okay. then the, so what happens? These pages show up, 
and they looked like fully inked Joe Kubert pages in pencil. That's what I was wondering. Okay. Okay. So now what? If I trace them, they look traced. If I swish around at them, I will lose him. What do you do? What do you do? Pray. (laughs) (laughs) Then what? Okay. So I started to ink it, and I wasn't fond of what it, because I was afraid. Right? And, And here's the thing. When I ink Jack Kirby, I don't do a good job on Jack Kirby because he's Jack Kirby. And you can't play with Jack Kirby. What, what of, what, do you remember what I did specifically? Two, I did two covers. I did a... a was it uh, Superpowers? What was it? No, no, no. Or, no. It was I Marvel did, stuff. Okay. I did Black Panther and I okay. did Machine Man and I've oh, wow. done various other, like, lightbox projects. But, see, when people fawn and, and worship at the feet of Bill Sienkiewicz or Mike Mignola, they deserve it. But to me... They're the guys, you know. So I'm, sure. I'm, not, I'm not in rapture, right? I'm with you. But Kirby is Kirby. And when I ain't Kirby, I'm afraid because it's Jack Kirby. So I don't do a good job. But Joe Sinnott, Jack Kirby's one of the guys, so he does a great job because he just inks how he knows how to ink. So I got Joe Kubert in front of me, and I ink some of it, and I don't like what I'm doing. And I put it away, and luckily I have the um, luxury of time. Okay. I put it away for a week, and uh, my, my studio where I work is down the hall from my bedroom. And for a week, it's going, you pussy, <laughs> ink me, I dare you. And finally, all right, all right, all right. So I go and I ink the thing, and I go, all right, just do it. Um, and it turned out very well in my estimation and most people's estimations to the point that Marshall Rogers called me up and said, hey, that book came out and the credits are wrong. It says you inked... Joe Kubert, but it looks like Kubert inking somebody else. <laughs> I went, no, that was me. Right. That's awesome. So Is that the Marvel book? The, the DC one. So, so I get pre, pre-internet, I get Xerox of this stuff, and I mail it to Kubert saying, what do you think? Sure. And it was just like throwing a feather in a wishing well. And, and finally, I couldn't stand it anymore, and I called up Joe. I said, hey, Joe, you got the Xeroxes? He says, yeah, what do you think? He says, overall, I didn't think you did badly. And I was crestfallen. I was, oh, I was bereft. Yeah. Right? And then months later, I ran into uh, Joe's sons, Adam and Andy, and I told them the story. He says, oh, that was a rave. That's awesome. That's <laughs> cool. Thank God. Yeah, really, you man. Know, yeah, yeah. Alex Saviak is a friend, and he showed me a piece that he finished of, and it was one of the last things that Eisner did, and it was The Spirit Meeting the Escapist, Cavalier and Clay, if you guys remember the Michael right. Chabon book. And because I saw it, and I even said, wow, you know, Will still had it till the end. And then, honestly, Saviak sent me the, the loose pencils that he sent, and literally, they were barely above stick figures. They were really just pencil outlines. And because Alex knew that everyone wanted a you know a, a great Eisner looking thing, he finished it and did it in that Eisner style. And and you would have thought that Eisner put every line on on the paper. All right. Well, when I was doing Marvel Universe, as great as it is, the best job an inker ever had. It was also dull and repetitive because it's like, okay, another Ron Wilson, okay, another, you know. So I went, I'm going to get people I've always wanted to ink to be on this thing. So I solicited people, and I'd call up 
like Dave Stevens and Bernie Rice and Russ Heath and Alex Toth and all these people. That's great. And you right. had that, like, they, the, the editors allowed you to kind of Well, I, I said to or? Mark, I, I mean, yeah. Mark could always say no, but, I mean, Mark had brilliant ideas. Like, there's a character in, in um, the X-Men's Legion of Superheroes ripoff team okay. that's Superman with a mohawk. Okay. So we got Kurt Swan to What's draw What's his name, guys? Gladiator. Gladiator, of course. So we got okay. Kurt Swan to draw it. Inspired, of course, right? I mean, I mean, and he he got John Severn to do the two got gold kid. Oh, know, funny! And he got uh, John Bolton to draw the Black Knight. Excellent. With always the understanding, I was inking it. So I would look for people, make it exciting for me. Sure. So I went to Eisner's class at SVA, and the night before, I had traced a spirit head and inked it in my best Will Eisner imitation, and I brought it to him. I said. I would love you to draw a figure from Marvel Universe. He says, well, why would I do that? He says, well, because I'd love to ink you. He says, yeah, but I didn't create the character. He says, yeah, but it'd be fun to ink you. He says, well, ink this. And he drew a spirit head for me, <laughs> a figure. And he went, ink this. And I went, I'm not going to ink that. <laughs> but, and so the great part is, is it was on the same sheet. So the pencils looked authentic because they were pencils, but they made the inks next to it look authentic because it's right next to Will Eisner pencil. Hilarious. And then my idiot secretary lost it and I had him killed. Oh, um, oh man. Right, I know. Those stories always come about. Jeez. Yeah. You, know, he, you know, Eisner always seemed to like think Marvel Comics was like cute. Because when Miller interviewed Eisner for their, their Dark Horse conversation book and everything, you know, he, he likes Stan, but he's like, you know, Stan's a promoter. Mm-hmm. Which I understand, and I get it. And again, contemporaries, well, to be honest, Stan was an office boy when Will was, oh, was running Eisner Iger or whatever, well, you know, running his own right. studio. So. Well, Jim Shooter, when he was editor-in-chief, told me that he was kind of disappointed because Eisner sent people over from his class to, for potential jobs at Marvel. And he said they were so poor, so underqualified, that he thought, I guess Will just doesn't think very highly of this stuff, and he thought they were good enough. Interesting. Wow, man. You know, back to Wolverine, because I I appreciated hearing this. Um, And especially now that, you know, people, especially the movie audiences, think of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine and everything. And there were a couple other Hollywood people that Frank had in mind for your work. Well, they got that freak Jackman to do it because Danny DeVito was busy. (laughs) Wolverine's 5'2". Right. Let's... You know, I'm assuming that uh, that really they were thinking of uh, Monk Mayfair from Doc Savage when they created Wolverine, because I see a lot of similarities in the pulp character and, and Wolverine. I, I would have, but, I, you know, yeah. I, Len re- Wien, I realize, unfortunately, Len Wein would die, and we can't ask him anymore. You know, Len Wein was told to create Wolverine. There was somebody else who actually thought it up. Tell me, it was Roy. Okay, I mean Roy Thomas said, and and Herb Trimpey kind of think they created it and then Len was sort of assigned to it. Interesting. So Alright. I like it. No, yeah. always good to get comic book dish. Yeah. There you go. But no, tell you know, because there was one Hollywood figure that I think the the cover obviously depicts and then also the interiors was a different well, Hollywood. Well figure. the trick is is that Wolverine's supposed to be five foot two but he's supposed to be drawn five foot just for the effect. And then and then I don't understand it. They give John Buscema Wolverine to draw and he's six three and nobody says anything. I mean, let's just be consistent, you know. Or, or he did these stories where he was sort of in the Orient. It's like, yeah, well, all those Asians are really short. I mean, that was that was the like rationalization for why Wolverine was towering over all of these people. <laughs> and then and then Byrne 
created Puck just so he he really had a short guy. Well, that's fair. But I was going for like again the Hollywood inspirations behind the cover and then the interior. Oh, so I don't want to talk about that. That's my secret. I tell when people meet me. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you, when you it's meet under, me, it's on you, YouTube, man. Nah, I don't care. All right. When you meet me, ask me the secret. <laughs> All right, look for look for Joe's look for Joe's YouTube videos yeah, and you'll get the secret, yeah. or talk to him at his table and maybe he'll he'll reveal a, a little bit more. Tell me about uh, assisting Wally Wood. What was that like? Um, Woody was a, a very sweet, gentle man, uh, a wry sense of humor, liked to play bluegrass music. Huh. Um, he seemed profoundly old to me when I was his assistant. And I think he was only 54 when he died, and I'm like 59 now. But but the thing is, is that Woody was an alcoholic. Yeah. And alcohol will really do it to your body. Um, and when he wasn't, I mean, I, I never I never saw Woody drunk. I don't know that Woody wasn't in recovery when I worked with him. Um, you know, he had his demons. He, but he was a very he was a very sweet man. He was an innovative artist. God knows. Um, I am told, this may be apocryphal, that Woody actually took LSD before it was illegal because something has to be made illegal. <laughs> well, and it was pretty prevalent in, yeah. the, in the 50s yeah. and 60s. Uh, as, as and, 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 you know, don't forget, I mean, even today there's, there's a stigma about going to a therapist, and I imagine it's like, you know, just straighten yourself out, come on, you know. Um, and Woody was an alcoholic, and I guess he fell off the wagon occasionally. Um, but I, I can't tell you how, how very, very nice. I'll tell you the story. He was great. He was wonderful. Um, his alcoholism, I think, affected his kidneys, which wow. caused high blood pressure, which caused him not to be able to really see well with double vision. Mm. And um, he, was, he wanted a transplant from his brother. And his brother said, if, you, if I give you the kidney, will you stop drinking? And what he said, something that I, I would never have the courage to do, he said, I don't know that I can. Wow. So he didn't get the operation. And, and what he died just prior to his first dialysis treatment. Holy cow. Yeah, you just, just oh, tragic. Oh, and, and by the way, when Woody had a ton of assistants, right? Like Dick Giordano and Wally Wood's assistants could fill the Hollywood Bowl. You know, um, and and we learned from Woody. And and when we were done, when you know, when you left or whatever, Woody would give you a diploma from the Wallywood School uh, School of Applied Psychology and Comic Art, <laughs> which which had a little silver thing on it, which was a facsimile of his high school diploma. Hilarious. Yeah. So he's a very very nice man. Do you guys have questions? Because yeah, I, I, honestly, please use the microphone because I know it's a small group, but I, I want this for the podcast as well. So please, yeah. Have you done any of your own penciling? Yeah, that was going to ask that as well. So, so painfully little. Um, I drew five or six Marvel Universe uh, handbook figures because I just was feeling the itch to do it. I did two covers. But in effect, I'm a failure. I wanted to be a comic book penciler, and I never became one. I, well, I never did what I wanted to do in life. But slowly but surely, the painting took over. And my passion is to paint okay. in all media. I'm primarily a portrait guy, but I'll do anything. Just hand me money. Um, and given the time between penciling a page and painting a portrait, I would much rather paint a portrait. So in effect, the inking has paid for my painting addiction. Okay. And I'm very glad to have been a comic book artist my whole life because most people don't get to do what they want for a little while, a, a long time. Um, 
but then I'd go off and I'd paint with some of the greatest painters in New York City, America, and the world. And for instance, one of my painting teachers, who I'm still friendly with, is Everett Raymond Kinsler, who wow, was the certainly. artist on Hawkman and Zorro before Alex Toth. And he did shadow work as well with the pulps and everything. Pulps. And um, his mentor was James Montgomery Flagg, who was the man who did the Uncle Sam Wants You poster, yep. which is kind of the basis for the Wolverine Number 1 cover. <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind Full of circle. James Montgomery Flagg's artistic grandson. You know, um, didn't he also? And, and I don't mean flag. I mean the, the Kunstler. And, yeah, Kunstler. Didn't he? Didn't he also do one of the presidential portraits as well? Oh, he did tons Ford, of Ford. I want to say he did eight Ford portraits. He did Clinton. He did Reagan. Um, oh, I have a story, but I, it's Ray's story. Maybe I, should I tell him? It's his story. Um, he um, he was painting Reagan's portrait, and he has studios in Gramercy Park in Manhattan, which is very hoity-toity, in the Arts Club which is a you know 200-year-old grand building. And Reagan was, this is after he's president, Reagan's supposed to show up with his Secret Service. And he's supposed to show up in the back of the building so he doesn't have to go to the front. So Ray pays this kid to wait outside, and at noon, somebody's going to knock, just let him in. Knock, kid opens the door. Suddenly, Ronald Reagan and service, Secret Service come in. So Ray paints the picture, and Reagan leaves. And this kid now suddenly has respect for Ray because, like, oh, my God, right? And he said, that was Ronald Reagan. He says, yes, it was. He says, what other presidents have you painted? He says, well, Lincoln. He says, what was he like? <laughs> Sorry, Ray. Has, have your portraits, um, are, they, are they displayed in, like, spectrum or anything like that? Like, you know, do, do, the, do the people of the, and forgive the phrase, geek culture, are they, you know, I mean, do they get access to your portraits and everything? Oh, I'm, on, I'm on Facebook. But, sure. Um, Ray actually arranged this. Um, the Players Club in Manhattan is one of those old, dark wood clubs from 150 years, right, which right. is for actors, directors, and writers. Okay. And um, they were badly behind in their Hall of Fame portraits. So Ray asked some of us he knew, and uh, I painted for the Hall of Fame at the Players Club in Gramercy Park, Bert Lahr, who's the Cowardly Lion. Yeah, wow. Uh, John Carradine, the monster actor. Absolutely. And a guy named... Um, Give me movies. I might know. No, no, no. It's not a movie. He's, he's the founder of the Village Voice and oh, the Obie Awards. I, I do and know who you're talking about. Right. And so, so it's kind of cool. You That's know. amazing. That's and, fantastic. And it's in a big club with John Singer Sargent portraits. And, and, of course, Ray's all over the place and a lot of wonderful painters. And then I, I run into um, uh, Keith Carradine on uh, an airplane. John's son, obviously. Hey, I painted your dad. You know, so that's cool. Yeah. That's fantastic. And, and someone's waving. Oh, real fast, one question. Go ahead, sir. Oh, no I just uh, want to say, for one thing, I appreciate your ability to turn the form. I have a page you did uh, over Brent Anderson's pencils for the X Men issue. And the guy shoots himself, and you see his hand. Just the way you turn the fingers, the form is just a beautiful work. I think you also did some other work. Uh, no, I didn't do any of those, but I, I did do an issue of Superman with Brent, as well as the X-Men stuff. I think the fact that I so love painting and drawing from life is how I impose reality on comic books. So I don't want to take them away from comic books, but like when I paint, ink somebody, even, of course, I haven't drawn it, 
but I always think of somebody real. Like when I did the X-Men with Cockrum, my brother's Russian, so I, made, I thought of him when I did Colossus. <laughs> and, and my niece looked like Kitty Pride, <laughs> And I knew a black woman who looked like Storm. Wow. And so I'm just saying, all right, so that reality I'm superimposing over the comic book stuff. Plus I know a general understanding of anatomy, so if somebody like Byrne got it wrong consistently, um, <laughs> I, would, I would push it into that direction. We're out of time. Joe Rubenstein, everybody, thank you very much. Thank you. There you go. We barely scratched the surface, so much like my Mike Zek John Beatty interview, I hope to have uh, Joe back to continue some of these amazing uh, stories and experiences he's had over the years working on some incredible series at both uh, Marvel and DC. Really great talking to Joe Rubenstein on today's Word Balloon, brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Again, thank you for your support, League. If you'd like to subscribe to Word Balloon, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash wordballoon or wordballoon.com right there on the Patreon page. Thank you very much for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at instocktrades.com. Some of the great deals happening on InStock Trades include the second volume of 7 to Eternity, and that, of course, is Rick Remender and Jerome Pena and James Herron. Uh, they, of course, the wonderful team behind Fear Agent, doing more great science fiction works here. Uh, issues 5 through 8 in Volume 2 of 7-2 Eternity. It's 42% off, and it's just $9.85. You can also get The Button uh, by Josh Williamson, Jason Fabrick, and also Tom King and Howard Porter. Uh, this, of course, the middle story of the Doomsday Clock, Watchmen invading the DC Universe story. Featuring the Flash and Batman, 42% off, $11.59. You also can get Deathstroke, The Terminator, Trade Paperback Volume 3, Marv Wolfman, Art Nichols. This is the classic run, issues 14 through 20. And uh, this uh, Mike Zek cover, I speak of the devil, and he talked about doing his many Deathstroke covers for DC. 42% off for this one. It's $14.49. Just some of the great savings uh, you can find at InStockTrades.com. Again, if your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping. They always have great deals, great books at great prices. InStockTrades.com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. we got more coming up for uh, Rocktober. Uh, but again, this is my Inktober entry. Who knows? We might have another anchor on before the end of the month. Nothing definitely planned as far as anchors go. But uh, lots of great conversations still to come for the month of October. Really excited about uh, a lot of these conversations. And I hope you've been enjoying the show. I'm uh, very fortunate, I think. Uh, I mean, I'm always really happy with what, what I put out each week and each month. But we've really been lucky, I think, for the last couple of months at having some really exceptional guests and great conversations. And that was another thing that was reinforced at New York Comic Con. Attending a couple panels. I went to an IDW panel with Dirk Wood and Shelley Bond. And, uh, you know, the uh, the podcast was brought up in the context of uh, the panels, which was very flattering. And I'm glad that the listeners are thinking about that and the uh, panelists are thinking about that as well. So uh, it's it's great. It really is. It, it, it Thank you for letting the creators know when you go to conventions that, hey, I really enjoyed that conversation you had on Word Balloon. If you did, because uh, that just shows them that you're listening and that we're all connecting. It's pretty cool. And I think it happens on a level that even uh, the best conventions are its own thing. Uh, Joe's uh, conversation is uh, an example of that. Luckily, it was one-on-one. But uh, I really do think that uh, what we get as far as the pure podcast interviews uh, really goes further than what happens on a comic book panel. 
and I'm glad that you uh, share that with the creator and, and tell them that they have that you you know feel the same way. So it means a lot. Thanks very much for uh, reinforcing the word balloon brand uh, when you're out at the conventions. It it really does help the podcast and helps me. Until next time, thank you very much. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2017. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.